smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Benyera, beautifully done, sensational. Hello and a very warm welcome to Le Boja, the official Ligue 1 podcast in collaboration with BT Sport. I'm David Crossan and I'm in the host chair with Matt Spiro already on the beach and I'm delighted to say we've got a top panel for this week's episode. He's our Marquinhos, the heart and soul of our team and not just because he lets us use his flat as a studio. Welcome back after being rotated last week, Robbie Thompson. Thank you, Dave. Pleasure to be back in my lounge room. And we have a very special guest today. If you live in France or you have the internet, you've probably heard him talk about English football in French. Well, we're going to mess with his head by getting him to talk about French football in English or the sort of usual franglais that we use on Le Beaujeu. Bienvenue, Tom Williams. Merci, Dave. Happy to be here. Great to have you along. Plenty to talk about this week, and it's such a shame Armel Tongi isn't here as Jimmy Brion finally made it to his century of Ligue 1 goals. We'll talk Lyon's attack, Marseille's wind-assisted winner at Lorient, Rocky Rennes and Nice-Lille. But we'll start at the Parc des Princes, PSG, at the top of the table after beating Dijon 4-0, and Armel Tongi was there. Julian Draxler playing a, a more central role than we sometimes see him playing. The German capable of playing on the wing, but it's Backer with the early ball, and it's Moise Keane with the early goal. And PSG on the break here with Neymar, who's beaten his man. And Gonda went sliding in, Neymar beat him, all ends up, he's still going here, Neymar Jr. Into the path of Moise Keane. And how do you like that, Moise? Help yourself to your second. Now a chance perhaps for Mbappe to continue his brilliant run against Dijon, he's done just that. A sixth consecutive fixture between these two in which Kylian Mbappe has scored. And Neymar with a brilliant pass into Sarabia, who lays back to Mbappe. And it's goal number two for Kylian Mbappe. We'll get on to Moyes Keane's first goals for Paris Saint-Germain and Kylian Mbappe's double in a second. But it's fair to say there was only one major talking point afterwards. It was playing Marquinhos in midfield, the heart and soul of the team, says Thomas Tuchel, and playing new signing, the midfielder, Danilo Pereira, in defence. What did you make of it, Rob? Um, I think uh, it was a surprise. I think everyone thought it was a surprise. I think possibly there were reasons for it, that if you want to hear, as the French would say, if you if you would like to be receptive to, to the argument, I think it just about holds water, that argument well, being that if you're playing Danilo and Rafinha in midfield together, you've got two new players who have not yet to play really a match together in midfield, uh, which is the heart and soul of your your team, if you like. You know you're going to dominate possession against Dijon. You know you have certain automatic things that you want to put in place. And perhaps having two new players plus Julian Draxler is not necessarily the best way to, to play in a midfield. I think people see Danilo as being an international midfielder. And his best position, there's no doubt, is central midfield. And Marquinhos is a Brazil international central defender. His best position is no doubt central defence, I think, no doubt. But Thomas Tuchel has to look at the balance of the team and what works best for the team. And perhaps he felt that having one new player per line, because he had Moas Keane up front, he had Rafinha in midfield and Danilo Pereira in defence, 
was better for the balance of the team and the understanding of the whole unit so to make it work. That's, that was my initial reading of the situation That's a nice case on, on for the defence, Rob. But the way this is generally seen, and I have to say that I'm part of the other camp, is that it's an admission of failure in the transfer market, that Thomas Tuchel is not happy with what Leonardo, the sporting director, has done. He wanted a new centre-half to replace Thiago Silva. He needed more intensity in midfield. And he's ended up having to play Marquinhos in midfield because otherwise he doesn't have that intensity or energy, Tom. It feels like the sort of thing that Jose Mourinho does when he wants to make uh, a not particularly subtle point uh, about the makeup of his squad. Uh, you know, he'll pick a 17-year-old kid up front rather than the new striker because he's not happy with it, whatever. It it did feel like quite a political move. And given the, the tensions that obviously exist between Leonardo and, and Thomas Tuchel, um, it, it, it does make you wonder whether it, 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 it plays into that. I mean, the context is important. If someone like Pep Guardiola made a choice like this and it worked uh, in a game that his team won comfortably, you think, ah, oh, Guardiola, the oh, genius. that's what I was going to say. He's, he's a, surprised yeah. us again. But because the context of this is a coach who's at odds with his sporting director, a coach who's not had the players he wanted, notably at centre-back, um, and, you know, Danilo was a great bit of business, a proven holding midfielder, something that PSG have lacked for a long time, albeit brought in on the last day of the window, so looked a little bit panicky, but you thought that addresses a need that clearly existed in the PSG squad. So to be already obliging Danilo to play at centre-back, which is not his position, um, does seem odd, uh, particularly when Marquinhos is the only senior right-sided centre-back at Tuchel's disposal. So surely you'd want him to be playing there as much as possible. Um, You know, he spent the most part of last season playing in this new holding midfield role. We know that Tuchel likes him in that role, but he is the Thiago Silva replacement, both as captain and as that right-sided centre-back. So I don't see why you wouldn't play him there at every available opportunity. Defence and midfield are, are certainly problems for Paris Saint-Germain. And there are lots of factors behind this unavailability, primarily among them, but also what happened in the transfer market. And I, I found it a really odd game to watch, the one on Saturday, because it felt like a five-a-side game. And Dijon, bottom of the table, ended up having 16 shots. They could easily have scored three goals themselves. Yeah, I think... Uh... If we can just stick one last point on on the defence attack argument re- regarding Danilo, perhaps, and, and I have no no way to back this up, we have to wait and see and we'll find out on Wednesday night, but perhaps also Thomas Tuchel in some way is preparing for the game against Bashakshir, which became a little bit more important after the loss to Manchester United, and perhaps he thinks in midfield against Bashakshir, he's going to play Marquinhos there, so Marquinhos hasn't played in that midfield role for a little while. Perhaps he needs to step back up in there. He's just come back from injury as well. And to get into to rhythm himself for that match, because the Bashakshia match is far more important than the Dijon match as well. And we have to see, because we know that Presnel Kimpembe was on the bench against Dijon. He will be available, in theory, for, for Bashakshia. So they'll have an extra central defender back and available for that match. And perhaps Danilo Pereira will be on the bench to start with against Bashakshir. And so the coach was having a look with, with one eye further further ahead. But then who's your right-sided centre-back if Marquinhos isn't? But teams always play with two right-footed centre-backs when they don't have a left-sided centre-back. True, but Abdou Diallo is a spectacularly left- one-footed centre-back who did not look at ease on the right against Man United at all. I thought his second half was, was quite good. Against Manchester United, it's true. The first half, there was the the uh, fairly well. He looked out of sorts. There were a couple of 
poor clearances as well, but I thought his second half was was actually very good. Well, PSG, with that 4-0 win against Dijon, bounced back from the Manchester United defeat. Six league and wins in a row, and they're top of the table. And we saw their loan signing from Everton, the Italian international Moise Keane, score his first goals. Two Icardi-type finishes, really, just finishing off good teamwork. Neymar was very good as well. What do we make of Keane, Tom? He really disappointed in England. Yeah, he did. I mean, arrived from Juventus with a huge reputation and was seen as potentially a really exciting move for Everton and, and just never really got much of a chance and, and on the rare occasions when he did play he, he didn't do a great deal. You saw flashes of his talent. You could see that uh, ability wasn't, wasn't the issue. It just didn't really work out for him and I think it's a decent bit of business by PSG. I mean, he's given that he's replacing Cavani effectively as the second centre forward obviously you, you, you can't compare him to Cavani in terms of what he's going to bring but he does give PSG something a bit different someone who's a bit more mobile than Icardi um, who spends more time in the channels who's more comfortable in wide areas um, and yes he hadn't scored prior to the Dijon game but he was getting in good positions and he was catching the eye um, and you know now that he's got a couple of goals under his belt I think uh, I think that'll help him to, to settle um, so yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a, a decent, decent, decent business. That's already as many league goals for Paris Saint Germain as he managed all last season for Everton in the Premier League. But it's not easy when you're a striker. We know strikers work on confidence as well. And if you're always coming off the bench, and if you're just playing four or five minutes every week, or ten minutes, and perhaps you get twelve minutes, and also if your team's already winning three nil, they're not looking to attack and add more goals. If they're if they're you're struggling, your teammates are, are not. There are loads of parameters. I mean, you have to take every Every case on an individual basis, I think, when, when looking at footballs, which we don't do anymore, we like to throw them all into the, this basket or this basket or this basket and have a, a ready-made answer for why it's not happening. And, and he's just a kid as well. This is another thing. I mean, yes, he's, he speaks French, he speaks Italian, he speaks a fairly good English as well, but he's still just a 20-year-old kid who, you know, is changing country every, every season at the moment, and that takes time as well to adapt, to develop. And I think we, we think that these guys are all robots. I think he, he looks a very talented player. I agree with what Tom says. He looks mobile. He, he looks like he, he has a profile a little bit different to Paris Saint-Germain's other strikers. But in terms of last season, perhaps you just need a run in the team. You need a bit of confidence. You need something just to, just to click. Mbappe came on, scored two goals. He's that joint top scorer in the league with six with the injured Ibrahima Nyan of Metz and Robbie Thompson's favourite, Boulay Dia, who scored a hat-trick at Montpellier at the weekend as Rance got their first win. Now, I was intrigued by something that Mbappe said in an interview published on PSG's website today, saying that it feels like the 60th game of the season and not the sixth because they didn't have any pre-season. If he's tired, I'd love to be that tired. I think it, I think it was more mentally. I, I, I did the interview with, with Killian um, in, in midweek, yes. And, and, uh, and we actually just, it wasn't planned that we start talking about the season and everything. And I just asked him a question off the cuff. Um, and, he, and he answered it. And we got into this discussion about how the season has unfolded and everything. And how mentally you build yourself up for the Champions League. It's meant to be the end of the season. And here, it was a week before the start of the season. And, it, and so it was lost. And he actually said the, the, the saveur, the, the feeling of that Champions League final eight, was not that it was the, the penultimate, mo- the, the ultimate moment of the season, the summit of, that a season had built towards. And that mentally, it honestly was difficult. They, they have just kept on playing since then. And he's been playing for France as well. He's playing three matches during international breaks, which is madness coming back. I mean... That it is true that this Paris Saint-Germain squad has just 
gone on straight through. I mean, I'm going to stop defending every time and sounding like I'm a mad, which I am a mad supporter of the club. But Killian was saying, I don't. He loves playing and he likes playing every time. But all these factors, and it's not just Paris Saint Germain. It's the same for all clubs in in Europe. I think at the moment. They're playing a lot of matches. The season is a strange one for many. It's more or less just come straight off the back of the season before. They're playing in empty stadiums, which is weird. The players are not used to this. The fans are not used to watching football like this either in these empty stadiums. And there is, and I think that's what Killian was really saying, that it's just, it's strange that the way you experience, that you live, that you watch, that you play football is different this season. And it's not easy for anyone. Let's talk about Neymar, Tom. Because uh, he was brilliant against Dijon. And basically when he wanted to play, that's when the match got interesting. And he had a hand in basically every goal. Ended up with the captain's armband. Neymar, legend, leader. Yeah, legend we might have to wait a little bit longer for. But yeah, I mean, he's already been the leader of this PSG team from the day he arrived. You know, he is always the player that everyone else looks to. And, you know, as as, as people who, who follow French football closely, I think we all know the frustration of, of seeing people criticise Neymar. Um, and question his motives um, when they don't watch him regularly and see how often he produces these astonishing performances. The flip side of that, of course, is that there are times when he doesn't show up, and we saw that against Manchester United um, in in midweek, where we got a lot of bad Neymar, sort of artificially slowing down the game, drawing defenders towards him, allowing defenders to get back into position. Um, And if PSG are going to bounce back from this disappointing start in their Champions League group they're going to have to win this this game coming up against Istanbul Bakshir here in, in midweek and if they're going to do that they'll, they'll need Neymar on, on top of his game and uh, you know good Neymar rather than bad Neymar I think it's time we move on from Paris Saint-Germain actually because uh, they're top of the table on goal difference now from Lille who were in action at uh, another of Ligue 1 Uber Eats' Europa League representatives Nice on Sunday afternoon and I commentated this one. Kasper Dolberg might be in here. Dolberg will score. The breakthrough is made by the day. Nice won. Lille nil. Luis Araujo. Oh, what an equaliser. Brilliant from Burak Yilmaz on target for the fourth game running. So Nice bounced back from their 6-2 loss at Bayer Leverkusen, showed a much better attitude. Lille had won 4-1 at Sparta Prague on Thursday. That one-all draw Allianz Riviera actually left them disappointed. And I saw that as a sign of how ambitious they've become, that Jose Font interviewed afterwards did not seem at all happy with a point. And this is against a, a club who, like Lille, have aspirations of finishing in the Champions League positions. My personal feeling is that Lille should do it. They're so strong at the moment. They've got a full squad to choose from. Just look at the bench they had. They had Yazidji, who'd scored a hat-trick against Sparta Prague on the bench. Their record signing, Jonathan David. They also had Bubakari Sumare, who was the subject of a €40 million Euro bid from Newcastle in the winter transfer window. So that is great strength and depth that Christophe Galtier's team have got. And they obviously believe that they've got the ability to win every game. And Fonts even said... At our best, we can challenge Paris Saint-Germain. And at the moment, they do look like the most likely challengers to PSG if there is to be a challenge. Thoughts, gentlemen? Thoughts? I I agree with a lot of that. I think Lille have lots of ingredients that suggest they could be a challenger. The fact that I like like the way they have this little Turkish community. I think that's a, a, a strong bonding thing when you have... You know, three players who are important players in the side, or Yuzitsi should become an important player after 
after his performance in midweek against Prague. But there, you know, Selic is a great player. The new big lad up front, I, I, I like a lot. Um, and you know, all of this is that's an important thing. The other important thing is that Bomber and Iconi are still there. They're they're incredibly talented players. The pair of them, they offer they offer different things. They've got pace. They've got experience at the back. They've and Benjamin Andre, I think, is an underrated player in in midfield. I think they've got and they've got a coach who's been there for a few years now as well. So they tick a lot of boxes for a side that are not just flash in the pan. And, uh, and, and we know that they like to play attacking football as well and they have a very good goalkeeper, Mike Mignon. I mean, they tick, they tick boxes. They're box tickers. Burak Yilmaz is so good as well. I didn't expect him to be this good. Yeah, I suppose, you know, he arrives at the age of 35 from Turkey and, you know, no offence to any Turkish listeners, but it's, you know, it, there is a, a, a difference in quality between the Turkish top flight and Liga. Um, and looking at... Uh, Lille's new look strike force you were expecting that it would be Jonathan David who'd be banging in the goals and, and Burak Yilmaz taking on the, the Loic Remy role which is of course the role that he was brought to fill in but such an intelligent player so good with his feet and he took his goal beautifully and I, I think that means that you know, if you were to, to take Lille's season so far in its entirety it's almost all positive the only negative or one of the few negatives is that Jonathan David hasn't yet started to score goals but because Lille are going well and because Yilmaz is scoring goals, that isn't the issue that it could have been. You know, he comes off the bench yesterday, David, he doesn't score, but it doesn't really matter because, OK, they didn't win the game, but but, but Lille are going well. And I think Yilmaz has, has helped to make sure that um, you know, there isn't perhaps more focus on David than there would have been otherwise. That's four goals in four for Burak Yilmaz, who is settling in really well on and off the pitch because his wife and daughters have just arrived in northern France and he should be moving into his new house in between that match against Nice and the home game against Celtic in the Europa League on Thursday. The Europa League, it's tricky playing Thursday, Sunday. We all know this. Patrick Vieira made two changes from his Thursday team. I think that's because they got beaten so heavily and he wants to see a reaction from those players. Galtier made five changes and they're going to have to be balancing like that all the way through till Christmas now. It's not easy, is it, Tom? Well, I mean, Lille found this last season. Um, you know, they were back in the Champions League slightly ahead of schedule um, and their domestic form over the first half of the campaign was really disappointing. Um, by the time they finally hit form in the second half of the season, it was it was too late because with the, the season being curtailed because of the COVID outbreak, they ended up finishing fourth out of the Champions League, which is why they find themselves in the Europa League. And that's the same balance that, that Nice uh, are trying to strike. And, and Rennes, of course, who are also in the Champions League in a similar situation. Um, I think the difficulty that that Nice has, that Patrick Vieira has, is they are they're betting in a lot of new players. Uh, I mean, Nice having had to wait until the very end of the 2019 summer transfer window to get all their business done, acted very quickly this summer. Um, uh, and I think we were all very impressed with the way they, they got their business done. You know, they identified their targets, went after them, uh, strengthened basically every line of the team. But it, it, it makes it hard to rotate players when you've got so many players who are still bedding in because you don't have an established system where everyone knows their roles. And, you know, that's something that, that Vieira will, will have to get to grips with. Um, but, yeah, I think if they can, if they can find that balance, um, you know, they should be looking at a top five finish at least. I, th- I think there is a danger playing European football when it's the first time as well. I think it's a, a couple of years since Nice were last in Europe. I think they played Dolberg in, in Ajax uh, and knocked out Ajax back then in qualifying for that for their european campaign um it's it's a it's that thing in france where they seem to have this problem between playing in europe and also 
focusing on on Liga. I think I hope it's a mentality that's changing. I think you see at least in in the communication from from coaches and from clubs, they're saying we worked all season to qualify for the Europa League or for the Champions League. We want to give it everything. We want to focus on it. We've seen in the past. That, that clubs that have qualified and have been struggling in the league have focused too much on trying to steady the ship in the league and have abandoned results in Europe, which it, it doesn't look good for the league. I think Nice, I even saw after the game against Leverkusen on, on, on the social media, which I, I, I'm not a, a big fan of or don't spend a lot of time on, but people questioning the, the future of Patrick Vieira, they're sitting fifth. In the, in the league, as Tom says, with an almost entirely new squad, new new owners that have come in last season that are that are building something, that are putting a project in place, a project in place, and you can't just go around changing everything and saying, "Well, now we've lost two games, we've, we've had an embarrassing game in Europe, throw everything out, rip it up, let's start again." That would be madness. Vieira knows his players; he's putting something in place. He has a great relationship with Julian Fournier, the sporting director, and Jean Pierre Rivière, the president. I think the the club know it, the owners know it, the the Ratcliffe brothers, and I think that they're going in the right direction. I think to to question the future of of Patrick Vieira at this stage, anyway, of the season is just madness. Madness is the word, Rob. They they haven't played terrifically well this season, but they are fifth. They're only mm-hmm. four points off uh, top spots. On eighteen points are Paris Saint Germain and Lille, and Nice are on fourteen points in fifth. Nice actually became the first team to be ahead against Lille all league season. And that was thanks to Kasper Dolberg, who fortunately didn't come off that badly from that horrendous Harry Maguire challenge in the England-Denmark game in the Nations League. And he made a substitute appearance against Leverkusen, started against Lille, and he took his goal as well as Yilmaz took the equaliser. He loves that finish as well, doesn't he, Dolberg? Just waiting for the goalkeeper to go down and just poking it over him. And I think it was basically the only chance he had in the entire game. And it just shows his value to, to Nice. And we saw that throughout last season, um, which was a bit of a kind of in-between season for Nice. You had the expectation that the arrival of Ineos generated and that they didn't always live up to those heights. But if you take Dolberg's goals away from what they did last season, you know, you wonder where they would have ended up, probably in mid-table. Um, and it is so valuable when you can call upon a player like that. And I, I think that's one thing that really came out of that game yesterday was that if you've got strikers as, as dead-eyed as Dolberg, as reliable as Dolberg, strikers who finish um, in, in the accomplished way that Yilmaz does, that always gives you an advantage. And we should have a chat about Amin Guiri at some point in the future as well because very Definitely. fine player. And, and really, you do ask the question of Leon, who didn't necessarily let him go because, well... I mean, he left Leon, but he didn't really get that chance, did he? He had a bad injury, I think, uh, last season. He only cost seven million euros, and I think, much like Mbappe, Guiri's played far too much football so far this Mm. season. So he was on the bench for the game against Lille because he starred for France's under twenty one, scored a couple of goals against Liechtenstein. But he's got a great understanding with Dolberg, Mm -hmm. and Nice are going to improve. Jeff Ren Adelaide made his debut off the bench, having recovered from injury. Uh, on loan from Lyon with an option to buy. And I think that is a nice segue to take us into Lyon, as we've mentioned a couple of former Lyon players. Olympique Lyonnais against AS Monaco should be a battle of European hopefuls. Nice-Lille, a battle of European contenders, but no European football this season for either Lyon or Monaco. And Robbie Thompson commentated this game on Sunday evening. Andy Lars has been caught in possession. Come on, Gino. Hey! 
Good pass for Awa. The square ball, Depay now. And after a chance at one end, and Anthony Lopez has saved. Olympic ELA charge on the other. And open the scoring. So hard to dispossess, and it's a lovely ball for Katawiri, who looks up early cross. is a good one for Toko Akambi, and he's got that second goal. Two goals on the counter-attack. Have Leon in pole position here against Monaco. Now Awa against Lecomte. Again, ball for Toko Akambi. Oh, and again, they've given it back again. Oh, and that's four. And that is just woeful defending. And it sums up Monaco's evening so far. Benyera. Oh, and he got a good hand to it. Anthony Lopez. But Monaco are on the score sheet. So, Robbie, much like against Strasbourg the previous week, Leon blitzed into a huge lead. They were 4 0 up. Then Benyeda scored a penalty. Their attack's on fire at the moment. Garcia didn't make many changes. An enforced change at the back with the Amande in for Denaya. But otherwise, just said, go out there and play. And my, didn't they look impressive going forward, at least. They did. They did look impressive going forward. Memphis Depay is obviously a, a class footballer and it's fantastic for, for Ligue 1 that he stayed, that he didn't go and join Barcelona during, during the summer. Interesting to see that Rudy Garcia left Moussa Dembele, who's top scorer for Lee on the last two seasons, on the bench again. He's yet to score this season, and it was justified because we, Tino Cadawiri had a hand in both the first two goals. Carl uh, Toko Akambi scored two as well. Depay scored. Awa scored. So look, when, a, when things are working, unless it's Thomas Tuchel, you can't really question the, the coach. Sorry, sorry. I, I, okay, just had to get it in there. But Rudy Garcia... He's got his team working at least going forward, but, and this is a, a big but, and, and having commentated the match, in the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, Monaco had two, three great chances. Anthony Lopez made two fine saves from headers plus a long-range shot from Yusuf Fofana. He actually made a save. The ball was cleared, and they went up the other end, and, and Memphis Depay scored the opening goal. They played, I think the first half, they had 26 or 27% possession, Leon. You know, and, and I'm all for playing counter-attacking football if you want, but 26% possession is really not very much. And they were 4-0 up. Uh, incredible, really. They were clinical. But at the end of the match, you felt, I think the, the penalty came just three or four minutes into the second half from, from Ben Yedda. And you did honestly feel that if they got another one quickly, it could have changed because Monaco were horrendous at the back. But Wissam Ben Yedda is a fantastic footballer and, and can... I mean, he's not. You would say he was carrying them if they were getting better results. He's carrying a losing side, which doesn't. Well, I don't know if that qualifies as carrying them, but he is carrying Monaco to defeat. A word on Dembele, Tom. That uh, the French press say that Tottenham came in for him with a, a loan fee of five million as an offer, and uh, Leon didn't accept that. Are you surprised to see him omitted, particularly given what he did against Manchester City? I am surprised and I'm not surprised in that, you know, given the goals he's scored and his, his goal-scoring record for Leon is, is, is perfectly respectable, um, you know, given the fact that he is often linked to, to the big clubs in England, you'd expect him to be starting. Um, you know, everything about the way he plays suggests first-choice striker. And yet, you know, he is profligate. 
he does have technical shortcomings in his game. Um, and had Memphis Depay left in the summer, as I think everyone expected him to do, um, it would have been much easier for uh, Rudy Garcia to, to play Moussa Dembele where he wants to play as the central striker. But we know that that's where Memphis Depay now likes to operate. And he likes to operate with as much freedom as possible. And to be honest, given the choice between Memphis Depay in the form that he showed yesterday, playing in that role as a kind of false nine, pulling the strings, scoring goals, making goals, and Moussa Dembele playing there, who sometimes needs two or three chances to, to score who isn't as clinical as some of the, the other strikers in the division. I can understand why he's on the bench. At the same time, given that he was the the hero of that, that, that famous victory over Man City in the Champions League, you can understand his frustrations as well. Um, and uh, the way it looks is that he is going to end up being the big loser of the fact that Lyon were unable to shift Depay or uh, uh, Hussein Awa um, and are now stuck with this slightly bloated group of attacking players. Dembele's the least versatile of those forwards as well and mm. Garcia likes mobility which was why Tokue Kombi was getting picked ahead of Dembele throughout uh, the Champions League uh, matches. But it's a question of tactics isn't it? The coach doesn't want to play him because he doesn't want that role of that classic number nine and perhaps late in matches you, you want to use him because you, you think he might be able to score. In this case I think it was more a throwing a dog a bone type bringing him on for the last few minutes to, to try and break that doubt but if the coach doesn't want to play with that type of player up front, uh, then what are you going to do? A fair play to Tokue Kombi, who missed those chances against mm, Bayern absolutely. Munich in the Champions League semi-final. He's come back strongly with a, a couple of doubles yeah. in successive games. Kadawiri is looking decent as well. He is. The one thing I'd say about being a substitute in the age of COVID is it's very different to being a substitute previously. I mean, you look at the Saint-Etienne game yesterday. Uh, sorry, you look at the Bordeaux game yesterday. Jean-Louis Gassi makes two substitutions in the 40th minute which previously would have seemed crazy. But when you've got five substitutions in every game, you can do that. So every centre-forward wants to be starting every game. But Dembele, as you know, the sort of uh, plan B, if you like, will, will play a lot more football than someone in his role would have been in previous seasons. Um, and if he's coming on when opposition defences are tired and there's more space to play in, you know, maybe, maybe it won't be quite so bad. Well, Monaco, like Strasbourg, played into Lyon's hands, leaving them half the pitch to break into. And that won't happen every week. And Garcia knows that. Um, Garcia, again, took the risk of being cut in two by playing six attacking players because Maxwell Cornet plays at left-back these days and he's really an attacker. Uh, and Monaco had those chances. And I think if Lyon are to improve, they're going to have to get Kakare, who was so good in the Champions League, back into the team. And he's on his way back from COVID. Gimaresh needs to rediscover the form that he showed when he first arrived, but mm. he's got to work on the balance a little bit. Yep, absolutely. Interestingly, Cornet and Leo Dubois, who are both very attacking players, didn't get forward as much as we saw earlier in the season as well. So it is a question about balance, and perhaps they feel playing with a, an attack-minded side, they have to stay back a little bit more. I mean, I was really surprised to see how unattacking Leo Dubois was yesterday's match. Quick word. On, a, on another player who was disappointed. There were plenty of players that I felt were disappointing in Monaco's performance. But Lucas Paqueta if, uh, for Lyon, big signing from AC Milan. We know, know he struggled a little bit in Italy. Give him time. He'll, he'll find his way. It was his second start only. I thought he'd be an ideal sort of player for you. you love it these. is. I do like that type of player. But no, really he, nice technique. Yeah. Not really contributing to a match. <laughs> Well, then in he that didn't, Cesar he didn't Delgado sort of vein. Cesar Delgado was a fantastic player. 
<laughs> yeah, we should just but talk we need very more briefly from about Paqueta. Monaco before we move on because yeah. Nico Kovac, like Roberto Moreno before him, is finding it difficult to turn where, around Where Monaco's is Leonardo fortunes. Jardim these days? Is he still living in Monaco? I don't know if he's still in that apartment in Monaco <laughs> waiting for the call, but he's got young players making mistakes and mm. possession isn't winning the matches. Yeah, I mean, you can see what Kovac is trying to do and it's a it's a sea change compared to what um, Moreno was trying to do. They've gone overnight from being a possession team to being this sort of team of transitions, this team who, who presses very aggressively and... If you're going to do that, you need to have a defence that you can rely upon. And Monaco just don't have that. I mean, the mm. third Leon goal was the perfect example of that. Benoit Badiashil and, and I think it was Florentino Luis Florentino, yeah. basically banging into each other. And that's happened quite a lot with Monaco this season. Um, and it's because you've got young players, young, very talented players, who are being exposed by the fact that the team plays in quite a cavalier way and... Uh, it was interesting to note in, in L'Equipe this morning that Kovac got a lot of praise for being prepared to take those kinds of risks that, contrary to some other league and coaches, he wants his team to always play on the front foot, even if that means leaving them exposed behind. But you do worry about how long it's going to take for, um, for for things to click at Monaco when you, you do have these, these young players who are finding their way in the game um, playing in defensive positions, who are repeatedly being exposed by the fact that Monaco are, are playing in this in this slightly cavalier way. I think there are two examples of sides that have played last few seasons with very young sides, Lille and Nice, and they both have a very old central defender in Jose Fonch or Dante at the back for Nice. Those players are so important, and that enables you to bring through. Even Saint-Étienne with someone like Loic Perrin, or Kolodzicak and bringing through all these young players. It, it's a huge help, and it, but it's so important for those kids to have someone to shoulder the burden. You can't have Badiashile holding the whole team together at the back. Uh, such a young player, he doesn't have the experience, and, and it's, it's psychological as well, it's mental. You need these leaders... They have Wissam Benyeda up front. They have Cesc Fabregas when he plays. And I think he's hugely important, Cesc, despite the fact that he comes in for, for criticism now for just because he doesn't have the physical impact that he, that he could have or, or give as much physically to a game. But those players have a huge role to play, but I think they are missing someone at the back. Bring back Hamil Glick. Glick was a fantastic player for them, wasn't he? I mean, he was another one that never really got perhaps the credit he deserved in that side. He tailed they off won badly, the league. Though, after that great season that he had in the when they won the title and made the semi-finals of the Champions League. He just had to knock the ball in behind him last season and they were in trouble. He did tail yeah. off badly. Yeah. Bring back I, I really like was not an entirely serious suggestion, but it, it's the kind of profile of player, yeah, as absolutely. Robbie says, that, that, yeah. that, that they don't have. Monaco 12th in the table, but only four points behind third. It is quite condensed in the league and table. Always. What's not condensed is the table for who gets our Deja Who feature right every week. We've got two men who always get the right answer, and Habi Bar and Adam Cyrilnik have done it again. Kel surprise. A reminder of the clues from last week. I was born in Normandy, but made my name in Brittany. I played one sizzling season in Schwarzgelb. This weekend, I made my first start since November 2019. That was the previous weekend, but you sort of get what I'm saying. That, of course, was Usman Dembele, the former Ren star. So, Habib and Adam, let's uh, see if you can get this one. I suspect you might. Although, producer Ian Holyman has made it more difficult. Marseille-born, 
I only made it at my hometown club second time around. A knee ligament injury perhaps stopped me playing for France at the 2014 World Cup. After being in a galaxy of stars, I headed east. Get your answers into leagampodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter using the hashtag Deja Who, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you all. Well, we've mentioned Marseille, so why don't we talk about them? Andre Villas Boas's team, after losing to Olympiacos in the Champions League in midweek, were in the Morbihan to take on Lorient in a wind affected match that was watched by our producer Ian Holyman. Andre Villas-Boas said after that match that Marseille were playing against the wind in both halves. It wasn't pretty and uh, the goal was scored by Belerdi, the Argentinian centre-back, from an up-and-under by Florian Tovan that wouldn't have been out of place at the Stade de France on Saturday when France beat Tom's beloved Wales in rugby. I just had to get that in there. Um, Was it one of those games where the result just mattered more than the performance, particularly given that Payet was out suspended again, Villas-Boas tried out the diamond midfield that had worked well against Bordeaux the previous weekend and they got the three points. Yeah, I think so, particularly given the context of what had happened against Olympiacos. Um, you know, a really crucial game for Marseille, their first Champions League match in seven years. Um, and again, they needed to get a result from uh, a game that they lose in stoppage time to a goal set up by Mathieu Valbuena, their former player. Um, on top of that, the journey to Athens. Um, so a, a very far from ideal beginnings to their Champions League campaign. And I think if you'd offered this sort of win to, to Vierge Boas before the match, he'd have snapped your hand off. Um, you know, we saw Marseille do this at times last season. It wasn't all free-flowing flowing football. They did grind out results here and there. Um, and yeah, they're now in beaten in... Actually, I'm not going to say that. I don't know how many games they're in beaten in. Um, but it's now back-to-back wins after the win against Bordeaux um, in, in their previous outing. And yeah, it helps sort of draw a line beneath that. Olympiacos game and, and puts them in a better frame of mind going into their second Champions League group game against Manchester City. I think uh, just a, a little uh, point meteo, a little weather update. I think you always play into the wind in Lorient. It's very hard for away teams always because the home side has that advantage of knowing the local conditions. It's Brittany and the weather is, I wouldn't say always atrocious, but it's quite English in its, uh, in its weather out there. Look, the goal was... Uh, bit of a bloopers goal, wasn't it? I mean, the more you see it, you think at first the Nardi's just sort of is letting it go out of play, but he actually does this whole thing to let it go, an elaborate leave. I mean, it is, he must just cringe every time he, every time he sees it. I, I don't mind Bellardi as well as a player. I think he looks like one of those Argentines who's comfortable on the ball. I think he needs to, to adjust as well, possibly to French football, but Look, points are everything. Marseille and Lyon three weeks ago were in all sorts of trouble. Now they're looking that things are coming back together for them. And I saw their game against uh, Olympiacos. Olympiacos were, were, were good playing at home, but, it, you know, there were a few nerves for Marseille. There's pressure on Marseille to perform in the Champions League, obviously, on, on every side as well. But perhaps they'll play better with the uh, underdogs tag that they'll have this week. Against Olympiacos, the big players underperformed. Mm. I mean, going forward, you look to Payet and Tovan, neither of them were at it against Olympiacos. Marseille fans are, are really frustrated with Payet this season and some calling for him to be dropped and for Cuisance, Even who's coming for Bayern jokes, Munich to play. After all, his, after all his tweets, 
I could stick Happily. to social media, couldn't I? <laughs> yeah. um, we know that Andre Villas-Boas is going to change his tactics to play Manchester City. And he's talked about them having just so much going forward that you, you can't play against City the way you play against other teams. Tom, did Leon show Marseille how you should approach playing Man City? Yes, they did. I mean, I, I think the um, the template for, for beating Pep Guardiola's City has been well established for quite a while now. You have to be defensively solid. You need to get men behind the ball. You need to try and disrupt their, their passing uh, triangles. Um, uh, and you need to take your chances. The good thing about City is they give you chances. Um, and Leon's success in the Champions League was that they were able to take those chances. Um Marseille this season at least do not seem to have quite the same firepower. Um, Tovar is obviously in great form and it's great to see him back uh, scoring and, and making goals. But Dario Benedetto is going through this awful goal drought. Dimitri Payet it just looks miles off the pace. Um, so that that would be a concern. Um, but you know we saw again from City at the weekend drawing away at West Ham, created loads of chances, didn't take them, fell behind got back in the game with an equaliser but continued to both um, give up opportunities in their own defensive third and fail to take their chances in, in the attacking third. So City aren't really in a in a great uh, in great shape at the moment and that'll give Marseille a lot of um, a lot of optimism I'd have thought. Marseille, Robbie, don't have the same mobility uh, as Lyon do and uh, you know, it is a thin squad and Villas-Boas is frustrated with what he's got at his disposal He's got to live with it. He's got to try and find a way to make it work. And Marseille are up there in the league. They're on 15 points, level with Ren now. And uh, again, trying to challenge for Champions League qualification. It's more It's more a question of, of a little... Well, it's a little bit a question of, of modern football now, isn't it? With Marseille just not having that mobility. So much modern football is played out now on being able to transition quickly. With Benedetto, you don't really have that. Tovan could be that player, but Payet is not really that player anymore. You need to have lightning quick forwards. You need to be able to to change defence into attack so quickly. And if you don't want to play that way, you really have to have superb technicians. I mean, they have good players in midfield, Marseille. Rangier and Sanson. Sanson is a physically, he is a superb player. He is a player that could be box to box. And and that's what that's what you need. But for the moment playing this sort of well they don't really know what they're playing do they i think that's the that's the thing they don't not playing counter attack they're not playing possession they're not trying to get the ball wide and get crosses in towards benedetto it's sort of a a real mismatch at the moment and perhaps if you're not just going to play counter attacking football and have that mobility and that speed up front you have to have a very strong identity of the way you play your football and i don't feel they have that at the moment and it's just such a shame that uh at the Velodrome, there won't be a crowd in because uh, I, I was there for those big Europa League nights as they ra- made the Europa League semi-final in 2018 and there's nothing like it at it's the Velodrome. It's just a disaster everywhere though. I mean, the fact that there are no fans in the stadiums is an absolute disaster everywhere. I mean, at, least, at least there are some fans in stadiums in France. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I know the, the reaction to the some of the midweek Champions League games, people were surprised to see how many fans there are in, in, in stadiums in France. And sometimes even watching highlights, you you forget that there are yeah, It does vary numbers. with the new regulations. In, in most places, it's been cut no to 1,000 and you can't have anyone in if it's after the curfew, like uh, Paris Saint-Germain's game was yeah, against exactly. Dijon or Lyon-Monaco. Those nine o'clock local time kickoffs just don't but work at the like moment. there was nearly half the stadium at Lorient against mm. Marseille. They really, they had the three, there were people in the three stands that you see behind each goal and, and opposite the, yeah, the main 5, stand. Yeah, 5,000 was the, the limit in areas where there isn't 
too yeah. much COVID yeah. circulating. And 5,000 in a stadium that probably holds 12 or 14,000. It's compact, is, isn't it? Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a decent it's, number it, of people, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes good noise. The one thing, their weather may be awful in Lorient, but they have good supporters. Let's stay in Brittany and talk about Rennes. Has their bubble burst because they've had four disappointing results in a row against Rance Dijon Krasnodar in the Champions League and then against Angers on Friday night when they were ahead but lost 2-1. And you commentated that game, Robbie. What's going on with Julian Stefan's team? They, they're another side that just looked as if they lost their way. And it looks at the moment, you know, when some things aren't going, when your confidence is not sky high, in front of goal, perhaps, for example, when you've lost a couple of big players like Mbanyong and Rafinha, who, well, Mbanyong is not lost, but he's not there at the moment. Rafinha's, you don't know where he is. Uh, he's in a Saint-Étienne hotel one week, at a Marseille race course <laughs> the next week. Exactly, but he will, uh, in theory, he, he will be back. They have Seru Gurassi, who was on the bench as well, because, and this comes back, we were just talking about this balancing act for Europa League, playing Thursday and Sunday. Well, it's a similar story for playing Friday and, and Tuesday or Wednesday for Rennes. The danger for Rennes, and we saw it last season in the Europa League, that was just a, a disastrous campaign. I think they got one point from, from their six games. If they get in this trough again, it can be very hard to get out of. And there, we saw it, they, they opened the scoring. And for the first 25 minutes, Angers did not touch the football. They didn't have a sink. They never looked like scoring. And then suddenly, Sofiane Bouffal, who is a fantastic footballer, even if he doesn't have... The, the fitness levels to really do it over 90 minutes at the moment and be present everywhere. He is one skillful little, little footballer, ball tied to his feet sometimes. He reminds me a lot of Hatem Ben Arfa in, in some respects. And he's, well, he's Angers' Hatem Ben Arfa at the moment. His goal, though, was took a huge deflection off Damien De Silva. And that was suddenly like a gift from heaven for Angers. They never looked like scoring and suddenly they were back on level terms and they had another great chance with Boakin, um to, to score one just before half time. In the end, that goal came in the second half and, and it's hard to say they deserved it because they, they were playing such counter-attacking football but they defended well. Wren just were banging their heads against a shut door and, and Angers got a... I think it was their first win in Rennes since 1976 stat. as well. There's a stat for you. Here's in, another one for you. Rennes were the biggest spenders in France in the summer transfer window. Pressure they, on Julien Stefan. They did recoup a lot of money, we should say, as well with uh, some judicious sales. But Stefan is working with this new squad. and We've already spoken about how you need time to bed players in. But more worryingly, after the game, he said they've lost their intensity. That mm. they've gone from the early part of the season where they control games to now where they have no control. And he's got to fix that, Tom. Yeah, he does. I mean, I, I think, and again, um, a sort of uh, Ren's situation in the Champions League, even the teams they've been drawn against, reminds me of, of Lille last season again because they have qualified for the Champions League slightly ahead of schedule, um, find themselves in quite a difficult group. Um, first ever Champions League campaign, hugely exciting. They've already failed to win their most winnable game on paper as so they've got their backs to the wall. And it was interesting that, that Julian Stefan, after that, that game against Krasnodar, spoke about, you know, the very fine margins in the Champions League, you know, about being clinical in both boxes and that being the difference between one point and, and three points. And, you know, that will have been a disappointment that they didn't come out of that with a game. And, and it, it's very hard to quantify the the, the mental impacts of 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 being involved in the Champions League for the first time and all the build-up there is around it. And again, as you say, uh, Stefan is 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 remodelling his team the whole time because of all these new signings and 
as impressive as a lot of those signings were, you still need to find a way of, of fitting them all into the team. And then you're trying to rotate between Champions League and Ligue 1 from game to game, which isn't straightforward. Um, and again, without sort of being too hard on Ren, but yes, they started the season very impressively, but they've not really beaten anyone who you wouldn't expect them to beat. Um, you know, they, they've not had a, a big performance against one of one of Ligue 1's big guns. Um, uh, and yes, you know, the, the run of form they're on at the moment domestically is disappointing with those three straight draws um, and the draw against Krasnodar as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it reflects the, the, the novelty of being in Champions, being in the Champions League, and the, the the difficulty of of trying to rotate a group of players, many of whom are still finding their feet. They're still third in the league and table ahead of Marseille on goal difference, three points behind PSG and Lille. And Ren go to Sevilla, the Europa League champions on Wednesday. That'll be a tough game again for them. Let's move on to the best of the rest of the action and. Where else could we start but with the centurion Jimmy Brion's 100th league and goal at long last. He reached 99 in mid-February, but yesterday, on Sunday that is, against Nîmes, he scored from the penalty spot, a penalty won by Hatem Ben Arthur, and he got this big presentation shirt. And I feel sorry for the person who's been carrying that around since mid-February because it looked quite heavy. And all the Bordeaux players in a nice touch put on Bravo Jimmy t-shirts. And exactly. Well, I think one of them is going to be heading to Armel Tongi here. That is a collector's <laughs> item, a Bravo Jimmy t-shirt. And, and bravo to the, to the kit man that remembered where he'd put them back in February, hidden them under a seat on the team bus or whatever. And Jimmy scored quick, running out of the stadium onto the team bus to grab the, the commemorative t-shirts for, for all the teammates. Yeah, what, what, I mean, apart from the, the, the jokes, that, the running joke we've had about Jimmy Brion watch, it is a very good achievement. 100 goals in, in Ligue 1. He's the only active player to, to have got there. He's soon to be joined probably by Kylian Mbappe, I think, who's on 96 maybe now, I think. Um, I think it's 86, isn't it? 86? Okay, yeah. I knew there was a six in there somewhere. Um, but anyway, fantastic achievement for, for Jimmy Brion. We should check. Uh, we'll get the stats men onto checking. I'm sure producer Ian is on it as I speak. <laughs> I think Brion getting to 100 goals is above all a testament to his longevity because he's never been an especially prolific goal scorer. I had a look at his stats before mm. and he's he's never scored more than 12 goals in a single Ren? league and season. Uh, Gangol. Gangol, wow. Um, and he's not always played. 86, okay. I was getting ahead of myself. There we go. Uh, and he's not always played through the middle either. You know, he's often been used wide. Um, and yeah, so to get to 100 goals, it's it's not like he's had two or three prolific seasons and then just top, top them up. Um, he's, he's been grinding his way to that, that tally ever since he started out. Goals at Bordeaux. Now that was a shock, almost as much yeah, of a shock exactly. as Jimmy Brion's I've 100th. commentated a bit of Bordeaux this season. I can tell you every time I check their result and I'm a little bit bitter about the commentator who might have had a chance to commentate a Bordeaux goal because I've had three, three games this season where they haven't scored. 2-0, they beat Nîmes. Rans, 4-0 winners at nine-man Montpellier. One of our favourites, Vitorino Hilton, was sent off very early in that match. Boulardia scored a hat-trick in that game. He's level with Mbappe and Nian at the top of the scoring charts on six. Metz beat Saint-Etienne 2-0, despite not having Nian. And Habib Diallo having joined Strasbourg. He made it 2-2 two two for his new club as Strasbourg won 3-0 at Brest. Well, that rounds up the round eight action. So I think it's time for us to look beyond the European midweek games and think about where we might go next week in our Bon Voyage segment.
our huge weekend of League and action coming up. And if you are in the United Kingdom, you can watch lots of matches on BT Sports or on their partner channel, ESPN HD. Marseille Lance on Friday evening, on Saturday afternoon, Rennes against Brest. That evening, Nantes against Paris Saint-Germain. And then on Sunday lunchtime, Saint-Étienne, Montpellier, followed by Monaco Bordeaux later in the afternoon. And Lille against Lyon is the big Sunday night match, which you can enjoy on BT Sport. Lads, where are we going to go this week? Or where are you going to go? I might not go to the same place. I'll go, I'll go first to get mine out of the way and then make it more difficult for you guys. Um, I'm going to do a double on Saturday because people outside of France may not know that Rennes is only about 45 minutes from Nantes. So a, a nice way to see a, a Breton derby. We heard the, the, the Rennes fans were in fine voice against Krasnodar, um, a little less against Angers. But uh, they'll be looking forward to that game against Brest as well and looking to get one over local rivals. And then it's just head a little bit south west, it is, down to, down to Nantes, or southish really, down to, down to Nantes, onto the coast. Um, to see them play Paris Saint-Germain. Tom? Uh, yeah, I mean, the obvious standout fixture is Lille against Lyon. Uh, Lyon going into it with their tails up after that very one-sided win over Monaco. Um, but Lille will be a real test for them. I kind of feel like Lille are a slightly better version of what Lyon are trying to do in certain respects. They've also got a, a really impressive galaxy of, of attacking players. Um, and, you know, Rudy Garcia, I'm sure, would love to see Lyon play with uh, some of the some of the cohesion that... that, that um, that characterises uh, Lille's football. Um, so yeah, if uh, you know two teams who who are probably at their best on the counter attacks, it could be an interesting one. I'm going to join Armel Tongi and take our Bravo Jimmy T-shirts down to Monaco to pay tribute to Jimmy Brion. It's Monaco against Bordeaux on Sunday afternoon, and I just think it will be interesting too to see how Monaco bounce back from that Lyon disappointment and to watch Hatton Ben Arfa play as well. I know anyone's got to enjoy that on a Sunday afternoon. It's getting, I'm not to alarm bells, I'm not one that likes ringing alarm bells, but Monaco, that's just two goals in three games and doing it with possession, not not creating a lot of chances in a second half when they were chasing the game. It's a, a very important game for them. Thanks to Robbie, thanks to Tom. This is me, David Crossan, saying goodbye to you. We'll be back again next week for another edition of Le Beauger, the official league and podcast in collaboration with BT Sport. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Bye. Goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Must be the opening goal. Benedetto. And Bagnon. Fantastic. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Oh, Benedetto. Beautifully done. Sensational.